0: Well, have you ever been in maybe a place where you you saw a sign, and the sign sort of had warnings about what not to do, and you kind of wondered, why did this sign get made? Um, Obviously, somebody did something. They weren't responding appropriately to the circumstances of whatever was the situation. And so somebody had to make a sign to tell you, this is how you ought to respond, For example, when I first traveled to to London, uh, on the platforms you would have these signs that would say "Mind the Gap," and you would ride in the train. And as you would get off the trains, there would a voice would come on and would say "Mind the Gap, Mind the Gap, Mind the Gap," and you're kind of wondering, well, what is the gap? It's this, and you see a sign like this, and you go, why is that needed? Right? Well, obviously, somebody didn't respond appropriately to the idea that you're on a platform with that knowledge and the knowledge of a moving train right? where they had the warning right? that was created to say, make sure that you respond appropriately to the realities of the, where you are at right now. So as we think about Christians, I think signs sometimes warnings are needed because often we do not appropriately respond to what God says are the realities of life. Similarly, the gap between what we know about God and what we do in response can have drastic consequences if those don't exactly match up and we don't respond appropriately. And really, that's what this message today is about, dealing with this gap between our beliefs about especially the end times, what God is doing in the future, and our behavior and how that should affect us today is really the subject of what God has us in 2nd Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 2nd Peter chapter 3? We're going to be concluding our series in 2nd Peter this morning. We're going to be picking up in verse 10 of 2nd Peter chapter 3. That's on page 184 in the New Testament in the back of the Bible under the chair in front of you. You know, as we finish our series in Second Peter, we've really been focusing on growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and growing in the grace, growing in the knowledge of Jesus should have appropriate responses for us as believers, and all of us should be growing in minimizing the gap, so to speak, between what we know and what we believe about God and how then we live our lives as Christians. You know, Peter addresses some concerns in his book that are very relevant even for us today. You know, you had people who were objecting at Peter's time. Was the Bible truly the word of God? Is it authoritative for our life today? Well, there's people who question that. People were questioning, will God judge really every person? There are people who today have that question and who doubt the truth that God will actually judge every person. People at Peter's time were doubting whether or not Jesus is actually going to return for a second time. And same thing. Even today, in our day, they have people who are questioning whether or not Jesus is actually going to be returning for a second time. And they have reasons, just as in Peter's day, as in our day, of why their truth really matters in their opinion, and it's difficult to believe these things. However, God gives reasons for believers to have courage, to have confident expectation and hope for what God is writing about. We understand that God's Word is true. It is authoritative. It is reliable. We understand that God really will judge every person and also that Jesus really is coming back again. But, but if we believe all these things to be true, would you agree with me that there is often a gap, though, between the, what we say we believe as Christians and how consistently we apply those beliefs in our daily life I know it's true for me. It's one thing to to say, oh yeah, one of my main jobs as a husband is to love my wife like Christ loves the church. That's one thing to say. It's a whole nother thing to actually behaviorally live and think that way consistently and with joy every day of my life. I I know parents, right, those of you who have kids, it's one thing, yeah, you say raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and, and make sure you're bringing God's Word consistently in their life, but then I see a gap in my life. To do that and to put that into practice 24-7, 365 over years, there's a gap. And I know I must love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. And as we celebrate communion this morning together as a church, it reminds us all... We all have a gap problem, right? We all really need a Savior. We do not consistently live out what is true about God and how we appropriately should respond to Him. And this is why there's only one person who, which there was no gap, right? Our Lord and Savior Jesus. Perfectly righteous, perfectly loving, who kept it on our behalf. And that's why we put our trust and our hope in Him. And that's why we wait for Him to make things right. But it's easier to say those words than to live them out practically. And that's why the title of this message is The Kind of People... That God wants us to be. And this is really sort of the last exhortation that Peter is giving in his letter is he's trying to help remind us of these are the type of people that God wants his people to be as we continue to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And this morning we're gonna consider three responses to man's eternal destiny this morning that should help us to sort of shrink the gap between, okay, if we know that this is what's coming in the future for God's judgment, how then as believers do we live today? So please follow along as I begin in verse, three, verse 10 of chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements with, will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, Beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So this morning, we're looking at three responses that we should have to man's eternal destiny in light of these things. The first is to be sober because of God's final judgment. To be sober because of God's final judgment. When I use the word sober here, I mean clear-headed. It's not just the fact that you don't drink alcohol. It's the idea of being clear-headed. You understand things appropriately. You have knowledge of certain facts that should produce a certain appropriate response of sober-mindedness. For example, when my family and I learned one time our basement flooded, there's an immediate appropriate response to the knowledge of that situation where I immediately go and say, we better not have any electrical devices in the water and step into it. Right? And then we go and make sure we try to remove all the water as quickly as possible because as long as the water just sits there, more likely damage and mold and other things can happen. Or, or like when you hear a tornado warning, the sober-minded response is to seek the appropriate shelter. Well, God has reminded us last week that Christians also have a soberness about them. When they hear about the judgment of God, there should be an appropriate response in your life. Where contrast, those who are mockers, those who are not Christians, who mock God's Word, who follow their own lusts, they're not sober-minded. Instead, certain facts from God and his word escape their notice and they willfully choose to ignore those things. And this is what Pastor Nitschke reminded us last week heading into these verses. He says, first of all, know that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. But when they maintain this, notice what it says, they're not sober. It escapes their notice. The mockers of Jesus choose to ignore certain facts about God's Word so they can live for their own desires, their own lusts. And you have this as a common temptation, right, is to say, I'm going to doubt or I'm going to distrust one part of God's Word that God has made very, very clear in order so that I can live however I want to live. And what's happened? Something has escaped their notice. They have willfully chosen to ignore the facts and are not responding appropriately. And that's why Peter would say instead to believers, these things don't escape your notice, right? Do not let this fan fact escape your notice. Be on guard, be alert. And so what are the facts about the day of the Lord that should produce the proper response for us? If you are a believer and if you want to listen and follow God's word, It's being sober-minded because he says, the day of the Lord, it will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And we see, what's the appropriate response at the end of this letter in verse 17? In light of these things, be on guard, right? There's an alertness, a soberness in light of these facts. And so if we're sober-minded about God's final judgment, what are we clear headed about? Well, according to verse 10, we're, we're clear headed. We're prepared in regards to its timing and how people are going to think about its timing. You know, in Scripture, the, the day of the Lord signifies an extraordinary time where God is intervening in human history for the purpose of judgment. And uh, this culminates especially in the final judgment of the wicked on the earth, the destruction of the present universe. And this reference to day of the Lord, sometimes it can be in the Old Testament referring to something that's near term. So for example, when God destroys his enemies, like the nation of Babylon in Isaiah 13, God is talking about this day of destruction in this term of this day of the Lord. But also there's other parts in the Bible where day of the Lord is referencing the final judgment, right? the final day where God establishes his new heaven and new earth. There's a great tribulation. God is establishing his reign like in the book of Revelation. And so what sense is the word being used here? It's in the final sense, right? The ultimate day of the Lord. And so we see how God wants us to understand the timing. It seems unexpected and without warning to those who are not sober-minded, those who are not prepared. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And so when a thief steals from you, it's rather surprising, I've never met somebody who, when a thief broke into their house and said, I was expecting him to come right at this time. Right? And that's the imagery here. Right, it, it seems surprising for the person who's being stolen. And, and yet Peter is telling believers, you shouldn't be surprised. And yet for those who are not sober-minded, it's going to seem like Jesus' second coming was totally unexpected, unprepared that they're being judged. And, and Jesus is saying the exact opposite. His disciples should have a different response. Remember what Jesus' own words said? Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Right? There's an appropriate preparation in the fact that Jesus is telling us he will be coming back. It's also what Jesus emphasizes that the day of the Lord is coming in Revelation 16, 15. He says, I'll be cold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk around naked and men will not see his shame. Appropriate preparation. And it's similar. The Paul, Paul uses the same language. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And so we're sober about its timing and how people are, are going to be prepared for its timing. But also it goes on to describe its Intensity and to be sober about the intensity of the day of the Lord. Notice what he says. He says the elements, meaning the, the most stable, the most basic, right, and foundational components of the universe. And God says they're going to pass away with like a roar, like a, a loud rushing sound, like, cu- like comes like when you see a really big fire, like when I was in Southern California, you'd have these massive fires, and when they consume something, it makes an incredible sound. And, and that's the imagery that he's saying here. It, it's like this roar of a fire consuming an object. But notice what he says. The most stable and foundational things, God has the power to totally purify and pass away. So imagine going to your Purdue classes and your teacher gets up there, grabs the the periodic table that's on the wall and rips it down and just says, here's a new periodic table. You would go, you can't do that. Those are the most foundational things. Like all of life functions on these things. And that would be true. Unless, of course, the creator who made those elements says, yeah, I'm making a new periodic table. What? What? Who has the power to judge like that? And Peter is saying, don't you understand the intensity of God's type of judgment that He's going to bring in a new heaven and a new earth? Only God can do this. See, notice the intensity. He says it will be with intense heat. In verse 12, the elements will melt with intense heat. And again, imagine what that judgment day and destruction will be like when the created universe and the world itself will be judged and a new creation will happen. Jesus describes his power, it's like changing an old garment. He rolls up the creation and puts on a new one. That's the type of power that God has. But as you think about the Judgment Day, and think about those who are not prepared, think of just creaturely examples of this in human creation. Like, for example, Mount Vesuvius, and the people who are unexpected and unprepared when just a volcano erupted. Or or the intense heat from in creations like bombs by humans that can melt buildings? Right? I mean, we think about these things, we think, wow, there is destruction. And God is telling us, no, 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 you need to be more sober than even about these things. The day of the Lord's judgment is a new creation, right? An ending of the old creation, the universe, and the establishment of a new one in Christ and he will judge his creation. And it should lead us especially to appropriate soberness because the end result cannot be escaped. What is the result? The earth and its works will be burned up. The heavens will be destroyed by burning. The end result is not changing. From today to the end, the end result, that is what God is saying, will happen to this present creation. There will be no opportunity on the day of judgment for you and I to change. Right? This is what God is planning and purposing. And, and though it should change my response though today for where I choose to place my hope for everyday life right now. And the soberness that Jesus is trying to help us to think about is this should help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. This fact, this fact not escaping your notice today should impact you because this end result is not changing. And so is your confidence and your foundation for life in something that is perishable? It will pass away like these things. Or is it really in something that is imperishable, will not pass away by such intense heat and judgment? Think about what Peter wrote to other believers in persecution. When they were going through the the persecution, the trials of their life, what was he saying? This is where you need to put your hope. It's in a living hope. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the one who's bringing about the judgment of this old creation, and he's also the one who's bringing about the new creation. And so you must know him. Your confidence must be in him. You must be with him if you're going to obtain an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. This is what your hope should be in, this living hope, Jesus Christ. And here it is. It's reserved in heaven for you, believer, And so you could either put your confidence and hope in something that God is saying, by His power, He's going to make sure it goes away. Or you can put your hope in Christ and say, by His power, He's going to guard it and make sure He keeps it forever. It's your choice for how you're going to respond. But he says this, It should impact that you conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like elements, like gold and silver, things that you think may look like in this world that are valuable, but something that will eventually pass away. You're redeemed by something even better. You're redeemed by the imperishable sacrifice of Christ. By His blood, you were redeemed. Something that's even more precious. And you've been born again with the Word of God. For those who hear and follow Jesus, you know that you, what you have is imperishable. He goes on to say, Right, you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, like the plants of this world, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And and this is where I'm thankful for many in our church family who it's evident that they put their confidence and hope and are living soberly because they're thinking a lot about God's Word, and they're seeking to live it out. Think about even what we're doing as a a church family. It approaches every aspect of our church life, right? Why are we doing, for example, building and expanding a Christian school? Well, based on this verse, I hope it's not because we actually believe those cinder blocks are going to make it to the end right? No. I mean, the the whole point is, why do we build a Christian school? It's because we want an opportunity, right, for more children in our community, in our church family, to be impacted by the imperishable Word of God, so they can have an inheritance that's guarded and protected by God's power through faith in Christ. That's why we do it. Right? Why do we do things like the restoration and to see men who are serving even this past weekend out at restoration, helping men who are struggling with addictions. Well, as they're pruning trees, getting ready for winter, they're not thinking like that tree is going to make it on final judgment day. But why do we do that? So we have opportunities so that we can have conversations with men as we work alongside of them to really allow God's word to prune their hearts, to put their hope and confidence in something that is better than what they have been turning to and what they have been building their lives upon. Better than alcohol, better than drugs, better than sex, right? These things are perishable. They're going away. And God is saying instead, there's the enduring word of God that we can hope in. Or or think of trunk or treat this coming Saturday how long does that candy last? It's pretty perishable. We're not doing that ultimately because we want kids just to have candy, but we want them to have something that's even sweeter than honey, right? We want them to know the Lord, and we want to have opportunities to reach our neighbors for Christ. Even as Pastor um, Reeder mentioned, Christmas for everyone. Why do we do that? Again, opportunities to love and serve our neighbors, ultimately not just to provide perishable gifts, but we're doing it to do imperishable good works for our God's glory in the hope that we have opportunities to impact these folks for Christ. The point is, we need to grow in being sober-minded about the final judgment. And one way that this might help in your life, if you're saying, man, I don't really think about final judgment hardly at all in my life, that would be concerning for me as a pastor. Because God is saying you, you need to think about these things regularly. It helps you to be diligent to uh, supply to your faith what is needed to grow. One way to be grow would maybe be to between now and the end of the year. Just read through the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It talks a lot about the end times. And especially give notice to the particular commands that Revelation gives for how Christians are to respond. And what are the blessings and what are the rewards that come when the gap is is addressed, right? When my actions and responses are appropriate to what God is commanding me, and what are the consequences if they're not in that book? It's rather sobering. That could be a good takeaway. Another is to actually meditate on the doctrine of hell. To meditate on the doctrine of hell. That hell is a place of eternal conscience, just torment, it's experienced by the whole person, body and soul. It is painful. It is eternal. It is for those who will not repent, who do not return in faith to God, will not believe in Jesus Christ. And to meditate on that doctrine helps you to have a soberness, one for the compassion and mercy of Jesus, but also soberness for those around you that should lead to diligence, to live out your faith as a godly example and a diligence to share the good news of Jesus because like our God, we wish nobody would right, perish. We want all to be saved. Be looking also for ways to make your eschatology practical. Be looking for ways to make your eschatology practical. This is what we mean by shrinking the gap. We want to grow in shrinking the gap. The end times isn't just about head knowledge. It impacts how we respond to everyday life today. We want to be doers of the Word. Right? And so he says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And so holy conduct is the appropriate response of, what do I do today in light of Judgment Day? Well, holy conduct is one of them. Conducts that's set apart, that's like the Lord. So holy conduct for students is shown when I honor authorities, when I'm showing thankfulness, when I'm communicating the truth in love to solve and resolve concerns, rather than complaining, rather than disobeying, rather than gossiping about your teacher's. For those of you married, it's demonstrating intentional effort, right? To love and serve your spouse through deeds and in truth, putting their interests before your own for the sake of honoring your Savior. It seeks to listen to concerns from others and to respond in a way that would honor the Lord. Think about your workplace. What does holy conduct look like there? Am I working hard? Am I stealing time from my employer? Am I being proactive to serve customers and vendors and fellow co-workers joyfully? Why? Because I'm ultimately doing it for God and His glory, not to just please people. It's like what Peter says, therefore prepare your minds for action. Right. And so then what's the fruit of preparing your minds for action in light of these things? He says, in all your behavior you're going to be holy in all your conduct. Because God said, you shall be holy, for I am Holy. And again, I'm thankful for many in our church family who are seeking to show conduct by their actions, by their behaviors, that is holy. Think about our, our faith groups. Many of you who are part of our faith groups, hospitality, right, that are hosting every week people in their home, in our church family. What is that? That's holy conduct, right? It's in response to what I know God is calling me to do. For those of you who serve as mentors and counselors and teachers, discipling others that's that's holy conduct serving others through stacking chairs those who pass out our communion even today or give out bulletins that's holy conduct did you greet somebody in the lord this morning that's holy conduct and and so i hope we do not take god's word for granted in the life of his people to make them holy in their conduct That's why I'm thankful even for you to get up this morning to come worship the Lord His holy conduct, to remember our Lord's sacrifice and partaking communion is a command that Jesus gives, and it's to be obeyed in holy conduct. Also, godliness. Each of us can grow in godliness. Having the appropriate beliefs and living out what you believe toward God and others. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's what Peter saw, and now he's telling us, now live it. So some resources that can be helpful for you to grow in godliness. If you're saying, "Man, I want to continue to grow in godliness in my life," one is uh, resource "Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life" by Donald Whitney. "Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life" can be a resource that you might use to see maybe there's certain spiritual disciplines that can help me grow in godliness in my life. Uh, Jerry Bridges has also a book called "Pursuit of Holiness." Both of those are available in our resource center. Those could be good takeaways for continuing to put into practice the area of godliness in my life. But it's also involved in a balanced outlook. Balanced outlook. Like little children who long and expectantly want Christmas Day and they hope that it comes sooner because of the joy of that day. Christians, right, he says, are to eagerly anticipate, to long for Jesus' return. Right? And that's why we say in the Scriptures, come Lord Jesus. We're like wanting him to Come. We're longing for that day for him to come. It's going to be the most joyful day for believers, right? But then there's a balanced outlook, right? So he says, looking for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we Christians are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, we're looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And that's teaching us to live upright and godly lives right now as we wait for that day. See, there's a soberness, though, to this outlook. And that's what I mean by balance. So as Christians, we're longing for this day. This is what we know is coming for us who have faith in Christ, a place where righteousness dwells. But there's also the other side, right? Of right now, it affects us soberly as we think about for those who don't know Christ, who will not repent, who will not believe, judgment. There's a soberness. It's like what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians For after all, it is only just for God to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, there must be an obedience to the command of who Jesus is and what he has done. This will pay, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. And so to think about, again, the, the contrast. Our world right now, we can't imagine a world without sin that's not tainted by sin and suffering and evil. I mean, evil and sin has such a steadied place. It's sort of settled in this creation. And this is sort of the imagery of contrast that God is saying between the new creation and the old. This whole world is sort of impacted by sin, and it's tainted by it. Imagine what the new creation like, where only righteousness is the permanent dwelling, right? That's what remains, and that's what's established, and that's what's here to stay. Righteousness instead of sin, and suffering, and evil. And when you understand that, you long for that day. You eagerly anticipate that day. You can't wait for that day, because you see, that's not what we live in right now. This old thing must pass away. And so one positive application of meditating for believers on the end times, having this positive outlook... Randy Alcorn's book on heaven could be a wonderful resource if your thought in your mind is not regularly taken up with thoughts of heaven and glory and being with Christ. I would encourage you that's a great resource to begin meditating on in your own devotional life and each day just praising the Lord for one aspect of what heaven will be like in your life so that you anticipate Christ and his coming even more. It also requires diligent preparation Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, right, this new heavens, this new earth, where righteousness dwells, be diligent to be found in him, by by him in peace, spotless and blameless. See, Christians are to be found in a state, in a condition of of peace at the return of Christ. How can we be described as in that spiritual condition? Well, because God has said he has made peace with us in God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For those who trust in Him, you are declared righteous and you have peace with God. And not only is a peaceful relationship with God established, and then now as a believer, you have in every type of dissettling circumstance, situation where you might be tempted to be anxious or worried, you can go to Him to find the grace and peace that you need. And you can approach Him boldly to the God of all peace, to find what you need in order to glorify Him. And so Peter has been saying, this is what you need to be diligent to do, though. See, Peter reminded us in verse, chapter 1, verse 3, applying all diligence in your faith. Then verse 10 of chapter 1, he said, be all the more diligent to make certain His calling and choosing you. And then verse 15 of chapter 1, be diligent at any time after my departure. You can remember these things. And here Peter again reminds us, there is a diligence That is our responsibility. And so, believer, you must be diligent to remember how Christ makes peace with Him possible. And so, one resource that I use is the Gospel Primer. It's by Milton Vincent. It's a resource I use in my own devotional life just to remember, again, the regular peace that I have with my Savior because of what Christ has done. And so, making that part of uh, making sure I'm ready, then also humble appreciation. Humble appreciation is another aspect. See, look at verses 15 and 16. He says, "...and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation." So what is he saying here? Well, the certain judgment of the Lord should lead Christians to humble thankfulness. Humble thankfulness for the mercy of God, right? But then also he says, "...the patience of the Lord as salvation." So this humble appreciation leads us to actually be bold in sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Because what it means is if Jesus hasn't returned today, what that means is God has in his patience allowed me to have this day so that some will not perish but can be saved. And so what that means is today there are people that God is intending to save today right? That leads me as a Christian to go, those people might be some of the people in my life, right? And so I go and share the gospel with them, right? Knowing that God is being patient with them right now in the hopes that they would come to repentance, that they might be saved, they might have a relationship with the Lord, and they might inherit this place where there's only righteousness that dwells. And I want that. And there's an eager expectation and a humble appreciation that should have on me as a Christian to understand, I don't deserve this. It's all by the mercy of God. But if God gives me another day of breath to live today, part of his purpose is because there's other people out there he's showing patience toward that they might repent and they might know the one true God. And that's exciting. And it's also humbling that God is enlisting me in part of his plans and purposes to share this good news with others. And that's Peter's point here, right? The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And there may be some here today where God has been so patient with you, just as He's been with me, and yet you have never personally trusted and returned to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You've been continuing to rebel, continuing to live contrary to God's ways in your life. It's shown in your marriage. It's shown in how you respond to authorities in your life. And and God is saying, this is the opportunity. God is patient with you. We don't always know how long we have. But today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe. Trust the Lord and you will be saved. And one application I hope as Christians is to say, am I being godly in my conduct by sharing the gospel? When was the last time that I had shared the good news about Jesus with somebody around me and my family my friends, my coworkers, my community, am I being holy in my conduct? If I'm not sharing the gospel, I'm not living the holy life that God called me to. So that's why we think about drunk or treat. There's evangelism opportunities there. We think about Taste of Christmas, right? Inviting women to come hear a gospel presentation, evangelism opportunities, living nativity, right? Us all getting together and literally acting out the story of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ is an evangelism opportunity to our whole community. Why do we want that? Because we want more and more to be saved and experience the mercy of God. Lastly, God encourages us to respond to man's eternal destiny, to be committed to a consistent pattern of growing. See, Peter finishes where he started the book, an encouragement to keep focusing on growing, but grow in the grace, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. See, it's not about being perfect. It's about growing. Only Christ was perfect. That's why your hope and trust has to be in Him. It's not about being perfect, but God did save you to grow, to become more and more like your Savior, the one who is perfect. And so each day, not to be so considered with, oh, am I the perfect parent today? But to focus on the next two or three months, being more consistent as a parent in the areas that I need to grow. If I'm prompted to sinful anger with my kids and being inconsistent with discipline, focus on just that area and growing it over the next three or four months. Right? I may not be perfect in my devotion time by getting into God's Word every morning, but I would rather get into God's Word like for five minutes than none. Right? And so be growing. See, God wants us to be focused on growing, and knowing this, you have to apply all diligence in your faith, right? And he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So God wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to be growing. He saved us for these purposes to grow, And so every day you can grow and learn more about your Savior's grace, more about His kindness toward you each day. We need to know also and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? So reading through the Gospels, just knowing about who Jesus is and what He has done, more and more growing, growing and knowing the mind of Christ by the Holy Spirit. But then there's also the, the practical aspect of knowledge, right? experiencing, tasting, and seeing his goodness in my life. As I trust him, as I believe his promises and words and trials in my life, I experientially know his goodness. I experientially know his love. Right? When I married my wife on wedding day, right, I said I knew my wife loved me. I committed to love her But there's also this growing of experiential knowledge of her covenant love that I have tasted and seen over the years that I didn't know on the day when I chose to marry her. And that's what God is telling me, is there's an experiential growing He also wants me to have in my relationship as I continue to know Him and grow in Him. And and what this does is a longing for His glory then. See, all the growth, all the fruit bearing, all the change to become more like Christ points me back to all the one who deserves it all, who made all of this possible. It's like the psalmist in 115. who says, right, it's not to us. It's not to us we give glory, but it's to your name we give the glory because of your faithfulness, because of your truth. Meaning, we know that it's our glorious God and Savior who started this work, and He will finish it, and that's why He gets all the glory. But the fact that we get to even bear fruit and enjoy Him and experience life forever with Him in a place where only righteousness dwells, oh, it's uncomparable. And so we long for that day. And and as we live soberly holy lives today, it helps us to prepare us experientially even for that desire of what it's going to be like to see our Savior. But as we re- wait right, for that day, we respond soberly. We live holy lives by our behavior, by our conduct, by our character, and we're committed to be diligent to continue to grow as believers in His grace and knowledge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You so much for Your kindness and Your love. Thank You that You are such a good Father who disciplines and loves us. Lord, who even gives us the, the, Your Word that reveals with warning your loving discipline and judgment. Father, we pray that today we would heed your word, that we would listen to it and respond appropriately by living soberly. Lord, help us to consider ways that we need to change in our conduct to become more like our Savior today. And I pray we'd be diligent then to put into practice the things that your word is telling us that we need to do differently to please you father for those who have not placed their faith and trust and put their confidence in the lord jesus as their savior and as their god i pray today that they would do that i pray that today they would long more than, than ever for the day where righteousness dwells the day of the lord and jesus is coming to make all things right and create a new heaven and a new earth lord we pray that you would help us to be diligent to continue to grow in your grace and knowledge that the series would show fruit that would remain, that would be abiding fruit for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so living out the Lord's commands is not easy, but it does produce a full and fruitful life for his glory. What we're about to do, and all this is possible today, right, that we're talking about it, is because we're reminded of what Christ has done for us. And as a church family this morning, as was mentioned, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's table remembering especially what Christ has done to the Lord's death until he comes. You know, at our church, we we practice open communion. And what that means, if you're not a member of faith, you can still participate. But before you would take the the bread and the cup that you would need to determine two things— One, that you first have a saving relationship with Jesus. There's a time in your life where you have repented of your sin and trusted in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, believing that only Jesus can reconcile and restore your relationship with God. Two, that you're taking it in a worthy manner. One, that you've examined your your own heart and confessed your own known sins so that you can partake of the Lord's table with a clear conscience before God. But also if you've sinned against a brother or sister in this body of Christ and have not addressed it, that you would seek first to be reconciled with them before taking the Lord's table. And so as long as you satisfy those two requirements, you're welcome uh, to participate. And again, the, the Lord's table reminds us of the, the death of Christ. There's also a present reality and reminder of how do we have unity in the body of Christ. Is through this death that we're able, it's through the one death of Christ that we become one with him and, and have fellowship with him one another, but then it's also future. We long also, he says, we drink this cup until he comes, when he drinks it anew with us in the kingdom of God. And so there's also a longing and an expectation that remembering Christ's sacrifice leads us to look forward to the day right, when we'll be with our Savior and have fellowship with him perfectly. And so I'm going to ask uh, here, pray for the bread, and then ask uh, the men then to, to come. Beginning in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, the word of God says this, For I received from the Lord that which was delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, would you bow your heads with me as I give thanks for the bread of the Lord? Heavenly Father, we praise you for you sending your son Jesus to suffer and die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, to make life with you possible. Lord, thank you, Lord, that by Christ and his death for us, we can be healed Father, as we we take this bread that symbolizes the body of Christ, we're remembering without his sacrifice in our place, we would have no part of you. And and it's his body that is for us, then, life. Lord, uh, we understand that apart from him, we can bear no fruit, and apart from him, we would not taste this fellowship and sweet fellowship that we have as a body. And so I pray as we would take this bread, we would remember, Lord, Christ's sacrifice for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.